Hey, uh, welcome to the first Not Operator podcast. Uh, I'm Ryan, and with me I've got Kilroy Hello. calling in from somewhere secret in the army. Not that secret. Okay, secretish. But sure, let's let, let, let's go with that. All right. So uh, we got a few different topics for discussion today. Uh, just jotted down some notes earlier. So uh, figure we'd start with uh, the latest in graphics news. So NVIDIA came out with their uh, new GTX 1080 and 1070 graphics cards. Um, they're making a big deal about how they're going to be super awesome and they're way better than the outgoing cards and even better than their $1,000 Titan X. Um you're going to build that so one in your new computer, Ryan? What's that? You're going to build one of those in your new computer? I know you're I, going to a new build. I wish. Um, I've got a water-cooled Titan still. It seems to work okay. I'm not gaming at 4K. I've got an ultra-wide you know, 3440 by 1440p monitor, uh, and it seems to do okay. Plus, I've been playing mostly Halo these days. Uh, whose fault is that? Mine, but I like <laughs> it, you know. Uh, I only play single player on PC anyways, so, yeah. Um, anyway, so the 1080, they say it's, it's more powerful than their Titan X, uh, uses less power. Somehow they're still selling GTX 980 Ti's for, uh, like, 650 on Newegg and Amazon. I don't know why anyone would buy them. They're the same price as the 1080 that's coming out, I think, uh, in a week or two here. Did this exciting new news manage to make their stock go up, or is it just going to keep it exactly where it was before? I don't know. I haven't been paying attention. The last time I owned NVIDIA stock, every time they came up with something awesome, their stock would go down. Well, that's because the market doesn't react to uh, tech news, or at least enthusiast tech news, in any sort of meaningful way. They probably saw some change in earnings and freaked out, or I don't know. <laughs> We have this thing that's going to make some profits. Great, let's uh, devalue the stock. Yeah, that sounds about right. I've experienced that before. Um, my old company, um, we had huge growth, but not as much growth as they were expecting. So the stock tanked like $100. So that was really fun. Um, yeah, so VR, you know, the new hot thing. And um, when NVIDIA was presenting these graphics cards, they made a big deal about how it'll power your VR rig. Um, any First, sort of movement to that? I mean, I know you've been talking about having a virtual desktop for years already, and you're <laughs> excited that it might finally come to fruition. There's actually a bunch of off-the-shelf solutions right now that are simply jerry-rigged together for that. I haven't had the ability to get my hand on anything like OSVR or the Vive or Oculus or whatever, but there is actually something called Trinus VR out right now that uh, managed to emulate a virtual desktop where it just plugs into your phone running Google Cardboard and you can actually have virtual desktops going like that. That's pretty sweet. So you don't yeah. even need a monitor, really? Um, in theory, no. Like You could run everything off of your phone, but right now the limit of the Trinus VR setup is that you have to start it on your actual computer first before you can sync it up to your phone, so you're going to have to use a regular monitor for that. Gotcha. But you can start out with any shitty old monitor and then just, you know, amp it up. All right. Well, hopefully someone starts focusing more on that because it seems like the entire focus oh, yeah, on VR there's... so far has been gaming. Oh, yeah, completely. There, But keeping up with the news in that sector, though, there are a couple of, uh, like, virtual desktop assemblies coming out right now that do have 
just uh, good commercial off-the-shelf things, but you need a Vive or, you know, one of those higher-end solutions for it. Gotcha. Um, been talking to our friend who has a Vive. He loves it. It sounds like he plays on it a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't gotten a chance to try it out. I want to. The problem is everyone says that once you tried it, you, like, don't want to go back to regular gaming. And I'm a little concerned for two reasons. One... I don't want to have to invest in that, and honestly, I don't have the space in my room for a Vive, or Vive, I guess that's how you're supposed to pronounce what it. What are you, fucking French? Yeah. So, uh, the other reason is, uh, now I've forgotten. Thank you for uh, your whole French thing just took me right off track, you're fucking and I don't welcome. remember the second reason anymore. Are we going to just subscribe to BankFit? I, oh, that, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I didn't actually click on it. I was a little worried about where it would take me. <laughs> I, I don't know how they're I haven't actually looked that into that either, but I know there is already VR pornography, so somebody's going to be into that. I'm not surprised in the slightest. <laughs> ah, that's the other thing. All right, I remember my second point. It's that I'm extremely prone to motion sickness, so I figure I might be okay with VR in the short term, but using it for long periods of time... Um, I might not feel so great. I might feel some fatigue or whatever. As soon as you uh, take and, the helmet off, you're just going to throw up. Well, there's that. But the other thing is that if I get used to using VR all the time and I, I don't want to play regular games, I only want to game in VR, having my, my stamina level for that being low is going to really limit my gaming time. Be sort of well, frustrating. Your gaming times are already limited by adult ventures such as having a job and having a girlfriend. It slows me down. Yeah, I don't get as much gaming time as I'd like. I'm behind on my library. Yeah. Meanwhile, I get limited by the horseshit I deal with. Army stuff is fun. <laughs> so, anyways, um, I guess we'll move on from there. Uh, latest news: Chromebooks have finally outsold MacBooks. I think in the as previous they quarter. Well should. Yeah. Uh, I personally don't understand why anyone buys MacBooks unless you absolutely need Mac OS X. Um, and um, Chromebooks are do, mostly as a crutch, like my ex-girlfriend. <laughs> well, Chromebooks are by far a better option for the vast majority of users. I feel like, like, well, you were preaching the choir at this point. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I know you've already <laughs> purchased one, but I mean, just for for casual users, you know, they say, "Oh, all I do, I go on YouTube, I go on Facebook." I type Word documents every so often. All right, why, why do you need a full operating system? Why, why don't well, you just get a Chromebook? Well, it's this cost you half as much money. Android, uh, and you're not... Chrome is actually a big deal, too. What about Chrome? Uh, how the Android Play Store is coming to Chrome. So now that you can actually have uh, Microsoft Office Mobile from Android work on Chrome OS, suddenly everything used to get peachy. Right. And I'm saying, like, even before the new announcement about the Android App Store coming to Chrome it was still a better option for the vast majority of users and a much more cost-effective option. Mm-hmm. Um, so finally, the market's starting to reflect what it should have, you know, going back a number of quarters now. Um, and hopefully Chromebooks take off because they're a great solution I, for casual users. I feel like Chromebooks are now filling the niche that netbooks left behind, which I still think needs to be kind of filled with something with a slightly more, ver- not verbose, but fully featured OS. Like if like Chrome some OS... sort of intermediate... Yeah, if Chrome OS had something where you could run local apps and have slightly more storage locally, I think it would fill that niche perfectly. Right. The problem is that you're sacrificing at that point some of the basic simplicity and also the 
you know, the sandboxed aspect of there's nothing to infect on a Chromebook, right? There's there's basically no OS, no applications to screw over. It's all web applications. Right, but Chrome OS still has its limitations, especially if you haven't been around the internet for a while with the Chromebook, you'll be kind of hurting for the updates, not just the updates, but also just the ability to synchronize all of your documents again. Oh, absolutely. And I'm not saying the Chromebook is good for everyone. Personally, I would find it way too limiting on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. But, you know, for someone like my mom, Chromebook is perfect. And I don't think she ever runs up against the limits of that operating system. Um, and if anything, it benefits her because, you know, if something happens, everything's backed up online, you know? Yeah. In my younger and less uh, army time days, I was, you know, running Chromebooks and trying to get Linux working on them and all that stuff. And well, you're trying to do that on your, your Pixel, right? You, you were running Linux on that. Yeah, I've got a Pixel 2, uh, the ludicrous edition, which is <laughs> quite, it's a good powerhouse. And honestly, for the life I was living up until, like, I don't know, May of last year, it was pretty perfect. Yeah, but, but, I mean, you hit the limitations of that operating system anyways. That's why you installed, what, you went with Arch Linux? Uh, no, I was just running a basic Ubuntu thing because I honestly did not have enough time to just sit there trying to debug the damn thing. Gotcha. And the Crouton implementation is nice. I love the hot swapping of the OS because it actually runs live and you just press a shortcut key and you can immediately swap between OSs. It's pretty sweet. So you still have the sandboxed, you know, Chrome... Yeah, it's actually almost virtualized the way it's run side by side. So if you can actually crash the Linux side and the Chrome OS will still be fine, it'll just kind of swap back to that, hopefully. So maybe what they should consider doing at one point is implementing something like that officially um, and then having like a developer or power user mode uh, that can be enabled in the settings and then you can be able to switch between a Linux desktop that's kind of halfway to where it is right now, because what you do is you turn off OS authentication on the Chromebook, which makes it go like, oh, well, I, I guess you know what you're doing. I'll leave you alone and just warn you every time you boot the thing up. <laughs> well, but the difference is that you still have to go through the installation yourself. You have to go through the setup yourself, the debugging yourself. Yeah. And I mean something a little more supported. I would love to see something. You remember Wubi, right? Yes. Just running uh, Ubuntu on your Windows desktop as right. almost a dual boot. I would love to see that. But with a Chromebook. Is that effectively what you've got running? Or you're talking about like a dual boot Windows? Like a, a real dual boot option. No no Windows. I don't like at this far end, I don't think we need Windows for anything like in this discussion. Okay. Yeah, I mean I wrote off gaming laptops a long time ago, and the mm. number one reason I'd be using Windows um, over Linux is because of gaming. And even that's, you know, changing a little bit, although, you know, ask Gabe Newell how steam boxes are doing right now <laughs> well i sort of i sort of own a steam box that's what i'm running everything on right now because i just needed a computer that was small right but you're running windows on it of course yeah because steam os just does not have the functionality you need it's cut nor down linux valve and it doesn't have, have a full <laughs> library of games nor does valve have the people to support that at this point i think right i i feel like their structure you know how it's sort of a flat structure in the company they try not to be hierarchical there um it's cool for the employees but i feel like without the ability to have these top-down directives sometimes the company can feel a little aimless um and it's hard to have these big pushes without full company support right and there's also the core the fact that the core of valve is nerds just like a lot of uh 
engineers and all that stuff. But what they need is a lot of services and larger scale things that they get through contractors. And so what we usually experience with like the steam help and the steam, all that stuff is just an official contractor. Gotcha. Yeah. I know they contract a lot. Um, yeah, to avoid and that's hiring full-time employees. That's that's really the issue is the problem because like contractors are great for you know getting things done and having it done, but offering a service without actual like real backbone through a contractor tends to cause more problems than it solves. Right, and the uh, the problem is that you can't run a big company without a hierarchical structure. So they purposely keep it small to maintain their company culture and their structure, which is great, but it limits their growth, and they sort of ride on steam success mm-hmm. you know I, I that's definitely driving the vast majority of their revenue and they sort of coast on that sometimes i feel like although you know they partnered with hdc to make the vive and um from what i hear it's it's definitely the best vr solution available right now yeah and at first there, when i heard about it i thought they're gonna get enthusiastic about the hardware because htc they haven't been selling phones well valve i mean they make games every so often but other than casual interest, what do they know about building VR? And uh, oh, from all God. accounts, like, they've surpassed Oculus. Do you remember uh, when we were at CES that one year and there was a guy from Valve? They have an entire hardware lab in their, in their little Washington office. I they, did not realize that. Yeah, the, the guy was telling us about it. He was super enthusiastic, saying, like, yeah, we have our own little hardware hacker lab. Can't tell you really what goes on inside of there, but it's, like, it's a big thing for them. They're all you know, hardware engineers and stuff. Right. Well, I thought it more in terms of they just had a computer lab they messed around with. You know, Valve has been doing a lot of things and kind of taking the shotgun approach to life. Yeah, definitely. Like I said, you mean, you've got these small groups of people that just sort of work on whatever they feel like working on. So, um, yeah. yeah. I mean, I was curious when they announced SteamOS... Um, and uh, it just feels like it hasn't really taken off, and I really, I really wish it did. It, but it, it really hasn't. I mean, what have you? What have any any one of us heard about SteamOS? Nothing. And I, I feel like it's because instead of coalescing around existing Linux platforms or creating a more fully fledged system, they thought we're going to go to living room. We're going to have this cut down free OS, and it's going to have a limited selection of games. Well, uh, ideally that's... not. But that's, you know, that, of that's exactly what the console market is. They're trying to directly aim at the console market versus trying to go like, "Hey, enthusiasts who are normally on your computers, you uh, want to back that out to the living room, see what that's like." Right, but the problem is that the consoles are much cheaper, and they're saying, "Well, you get, you know, higher graphic settings and and whatever, but for mm-hmm. more expense." And most console gamers, the reason they're going to consoles rather than PCs has nothing to do with quality. It's all in cost. So who exactly are you convincing to switch to this Steam OS concept? The hardcore gamers Obviously don't want nobody. to give up their libraries and the console gamers don't want to spend more money. So I'm, I like the idea. I just don't feel like there's a market for it. Right. And having been around the folks that I'm around these days, people who live in the barracks and have no space, no room and no ability, a lot of people will come to depend on like things that you've already written off, like uh, gaming laptops. I know more than, you know, a handful of people that say, like, man, I need a gaming laptop because I have no room for this otherwise. Right. Well, I mean, I wrote off gaming laptops because I see them as an overexpensive compromise solution that doesn't really 
Oh, completely. Like, I agree with you, and that's why I refrained from getting one. I just kind of sucked it up and didn't game for, you know, a good year and a half. Right, but what I'm saying is just because I've written off something as a bad solution doesn't mean there's no market for it, which is why MacBooks are still selling well, though mm-hmm. not quite as well as Chromebooks. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so anyways, let's, let's move on from that. So around the same time, we've had a couple new games get announced. The new mm-hmm. Battlefield 1, which is a little confusing because someone looking back at the chronology will go, doesn't Battlefield 1 come before Battlefield 2? And the answer is no. Um, and then there's the new Call of Duty, uh, what do they call it, Infinite Warfare, which no one cared about until they said that uh, it was going to be bundled with an HD version of uh, Call of Duty 4, the original Modern Warfare. Which means um, that the game wouldn't sell on its own because it's Call of Duty Space Warfare, goddamn Moonraker. Yeah, absolutely. Honestly, I've become disillusioned. Um, I like Modern Warfare. I like Modern Warfare 2. Modern Warfare 3 wasn't as good as Modern Warfare 2, but it was still enjoyable. And since then, it's basically become a pile of garbage. I had Call of Duty Ghosts, and it was at best mediocre. And then I got Advanced Warfare because the reviews were so good, and I thought it was like, you know, I like Titanfall. I wanted to see what the Call of Duty team would do with it. And the answer was nothing good. It was awful. I hated Advanced Warfare. It was my least favorite Call of Duty game that I've played. So I pretty much have written them off. I'm not buying any more Call of Duty games unless yeah. they remake, you know, Modern Warfare 2 or something. Uh-huh. Um, the problem with Battlefield is that I never liked the game mechanics. And so as excited as I am about the new World War One setting, um, I'm a little concerned because I always felt... To me, it's like you're wandering an apocalyptic wasteland looking for people, and then you're sniped and dead, uh, and then you respawn, and you get... Oh, you have obviously never played Arma. (laughs) No, I did not play Arma for exactly that reason. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Uh, But I'm I'm excited. You know, I want to give the the new Battlefield a shot. I'll probably play the beta, because I I really am excited about the setting. It's it's a setting I've talked about for a long time. You know, it's something I'd want to see, something a little more unique. Um... You know, I mean, it is new and different. I, I remember being there during the pretty much the glut of Welcome to World War II all right. the time, and everybody was like, Battlefield, Modern Warfare, blah, 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 and uh, and they came out with all this new stuff. And suddenly, you know, post-Iran-Iraq War, everything's just all about Modern Warfare. It's like, well, uh, we're all kind of tired of it. Right, so finally we're seeing a shift away from modern or slightly futuristic warfare. And we had, like, phases, right? We had World War II, we had Space Marines... We had modern warfare, we had slightly futuristic warfare, and now we're like, all right, let's let's turn that knob back a little bit. But finally, they're, they're turning the knob back a little bit further. Mm-hmm. And a setting that I would like to see, but I don't know how you would do it well, is something, you know, Civil War, right? That, that'd be an interesting time period, but, you know, who wants to spend 10 minutes reloading their musket after every shot? You remember uh, that one game, the time travel one, where you could just take your future rifle back to Roman times and shoot shoot Romans in the face with it? Yes, I was excited for it, but I never actually played it. I don't think it did very well. It didn't do very well. I remember us wanting to get it and then never doing so. I forget the name, though. Yeah, I, I can't Somebody remember. Knows that. Some, I think Darkness in the name, something? I don't remember. But uh, it did not. It was not well regarded. Right. But the concept it was, was interesting. Yeah. Although it seems a little unfair to take future this, weapons though, back in the past. Uh, I am excited to see like the time period technology, like biplanes and horses and random shit like that. I'm sure 
people will be complaining about their post-Napoleonic tactics as they try and rush a machine gun bunker. <laughs> well, so I'm curious, kind of, are they going to do? Because World War One was brutal. Actually, World War Two, as awful as it was, they actually, you know, had some more rules because World War One was just so so bad. You know, we had chemical warfare, mustard gas, just you know, wiped out. War of attrition. Tons of we kind of flattened Verdun, something like that. Right. Or, you know, they didn't know how to deal with machine guns, right? So you'd have a machine gun nest and these guys would be trying the same tactics as they'd used in previous wars and try and mob it. And um, right. mobbing something with a high rate of fire is not really the most effective way to, to deal with it. And so you'd get massive casualties in situations where... Oh, that's a Russia. Yeah. Well, <laughs> they, they employed that strategy to some... I don't know if you want to call it success, but they did it in World War Two, and they're sort of around, I guess. <laughs> I think they won. They, I don't won. I mean, they lost more people than like I don't know everyone else combined, but a lot, a lot more people than everyone else. Yeah. But they call that a win, I guess. Um. But yeah, so I'm excited for the World War One setting. I just I need to be convinced that I can have fun in a battlefield game, and I know that tons of people do, and I guess I'm in the exceptions. Um, that don't enjoy the battlefield mechanics, but it's you just something that never resonated with me. Enjoy. What's that? You don't enjoy a number of things that most people enjoy. That's true, but, you know, Call of Duty Battlefield, they're like the two flagship war sim games, and I always felt more comfortable in the arcade Call of Duty style more so than the faux realistic Battlefield style games, or at least the mechanics. Again, you've never played Arma. <laughs> That's, yes, but, you know, there's a reason it's not a super popular game compared to Battlefield and Call of Duty. Uh -huh. Because that game is maximal autism. Right. <laughs> Infantry tactics, go! Um, so, more gaming news. Uh, the trailer for the new Assassin's Creed movie came out. Um, Michael Fassbender is playing the main character. I, I think they're introducing a new one for, uh, for the movie. The device um, that they say is the Animus looks like a giant vibe on steroids. Yeah. Sort of. <laughs> well, I'm actually a little excited because the thing is, for all video game adaptations, I feel like I'll be disappointed, right? Because they can't possibly do the same thing as the video game. CF, the Super Mario movie. Oh, God. Uh, but uh, I'm actually excited for this one. I just have to divorce in my mind its association to the actual Assassin's Creed games, because it's going to be different in a number of key ways, and if I think of the video game, it's going to upset me. But if I just think of it as a standalone movie, assuming it's not garbage, it'll actually be enjoyable. I'd like to see a video game franchise succeed on the big screen. Um, like and the trailer looked good, I thought. Yeah, the trailer does look good. I feel like it opens up a lot of the room that they had made for just extended stories. Right, and I do like, on that topic, um, you know, Ubisoft announced that they were going to hold off on their yearly release cycle for Assassin's Creed, and I think maybe switch to a two- or even three-year cycle, which I've been saying for years they needed to do, because one, I loved as a concept game, you know, they needed to work out the platform. Two is one of my favorite games of all time, uh, and they did Brotherhood and Revelations. Brotherhood was fantastic. Revelations, not quite as good, but still fun. And then they didn't fall into a rut, because I give them this. They were still trying new things, 
but it didn't pan out. Um, Assassin's Creed 3 was one of my least favorites. Uh, they had the boat mechanics that hadn't been fully fleshed out, and mm-hmm. running through a forest is just not as compelling as running through, you know, an ancient Italian city or whatever, a Roman well, city. Well, when you have a game that's based entirely on parkour and you have nothing to parkour off of, that kind of creates a problem. Right, yeah. So I didn't really enjoy Assassin's Creed 3 at all. They changed the weapon system for that game to the point that it didn't incentivize it at all. I used my starting hatchet for the whole game. Uh-huh. Um Four was much better, but it wasn't an Assassin's Creed game. It was, you know, Assassin's Creed Four Black Flag. It was a great pirate simulator. The boat fighting had been fully fleshed out, but uh, you know, from the point of view of an assassin, not so much. So, um, I, and I didn't really play through the two games that came after that. I, I plan on it. I just, like we said before, I, I don't have the time to invest into my games like I used to. Yeah. But, um, I felt that they, you know, they came out buggy. They weren't done. The reviews were mediocre. I feel like putting them on the yearly cycle was just overdoing it, and they needed to back up and focus on making quality games again and, and get back to their, you know, Assassin's Creed Two roots. Hmm. Um, <coughs> well, I for one have not played that much Assassin's Creed, as you know. Yes, I've uh, made me made myself partway through one and watched you play. Well, mostly just goof around through most of the other ones. <laughs> well, there's a lot of funny stuff you can do. Those guards are not particularly intelligent. Yeah, but uh, just from what I've seen of the story and the way it is put together, it does make for a great story. I feel like they would, they might have actually benefited if they wanted to keep a rolling release of making Assassin's Creed like in-universe games in a much shorter dev cycle on an easier like, to work with Engine just for the story's sake, if they just wanted to make story stuff. Like, you know how Telltale Games releases certain games that come out as uh, just for story alone? Right. They could do a dev cycle on PC. They just need to dev for PC instead of focusing entirely on the console market, as is most game companies right. these days. Right, but, you know, the re- lots of PC gamers complain that they're getting console ports, and I get it, you know? If I'm gaming on, on PC, I want to take full advantage of the power that I have available to me. But from a well, profit perspective, they make way more money on consoles. I, well, I think the market that. is it's larger. Like they, they make, it's not just the fact that it's a port. I'd be fine if it was port. I would, I'm more angry of the fact that they refuse to optimize anything. Like, remember the debacle when GTA 4 was released? Yeah. Well, and Batman had similar problems last year. So much so yeah. they had to pull the game. Yeah. Um, yeah, that sort of mismanagement is just inexcusable. Um, that's just irresponsible. It's ignoring an entire segment of the market. Um, like you said, um, porting is one thing, messing it up is another. But speaking to the porting thing, because there are people that are upset by that, but uh, that's just a larger portion of the market, so it makes sense to optimize for that, especially when it's so much easier to optimize for. But come up with something fully functional, you know, when you're releasing the PC. That's not peanuts. There's a lot of people who game on PC, and those are going to be some of the most vocal players around, you know? So if you mess that up, expect to hear about it. Yeah. Well, again, the PC player market tends to be the people that don't simply buy something and expect it to work. There's going to be a lot of the enthusiasts who are willing to build stuff. Right. That's why you get the whole modding community. There's been a lot of controversy now about uh, Fallout mods that are available on console. And um, it seems like the modding communities are not happy to be dealing with the console gamers 
um, that are not familiar with how things work in the modding world. Yeah. Because again, a, there's that sense of console entitlement of, oh, they released it, it must be a complete product, versus here's my work in progress, have fun with it. Right. So you can do anything with and, it. And I agree that lots of people are idiots. I mean, that's just a given. But the modders are used to the PC community, and like you said, console gamers feel if it's available for their game, it's an officially sanctioned product, even though mods are clearly not. Um, and they feel entitled to support, they feel entitled to availability, which is, is funny considering the current landscape of uh, timed exclusives on consoles, how that's the big new thing. You don't get an exclusive game, but you might get exclusive content. You know, Call of Duty will get this map pack and weapon pack before Xbox gamers. Mm -hmm. And really, I feel like that's even more detrimental to the players than having console-specific exclusives. Because I guess you sort of get to play the same game, but you're literally getting a worse version of the game for the same price. And that's just not really fair. Right. Um, so, yeah, I'm... I have a console, like I said, I play Halo on it. The reason I have a console is to play console exclusives. Um, and I grew up as a console gamer, so I'm much more comfortable with the uh, gamepad in my hand than a mouse and keyboard. But, you know, if there's a single player game, I'll pretty much always get it on PC. I can crank up the graphics. Um, Steam sales are awesome. You can get it way cheaper. Um, that's definitely the way to go if you can, you know, if you have a gaming PC. Well, As you, you are well significantly more spoiled than most of the population, given your monitor setup at the moment. Well, yeah, I can't go back. I, I was lucky enough at work; uh, they gave me the exact same monitor. Having a thirty-four inch ultra wide is awesome. I would, I would not go back. But something that does piss me off. So, um, TV they usually display it in sixteen by nine. So whatever, I expect some black bars on the side. Movies are shot in 21 by 9, but if you watch something like Netflix or Amazon Prime, nothing is shown in the ultra-wide format, and sometimes you even get black bars along the bottom and top. So I have black bars surrounding this, this rectangle of video in the middle of my screen, and it just drives me nuts, because I know that ultra-wide is not the majority of the market, but again, it's not insubstantial. And the content is already shot for that format, so why not support it? Just wait until they skip that segment of the market and just switch to VR. Oh, that would upset me so much. <laughs> See, but I, I feel like that, um, you know, the 2D filming experience that we have shouldn't go away, because we're seeing these new VR-type movies coming out. There's, like, that Hardcore Henry coming out, which is clearly... You know, it's like a VR experience almost. It's a guy with a GoPro. Um, but it's a completely it's, it's different... It's three guys with a GoPro. What's that? It's three guys with a GoPro, technically. Okay. Well, my point <laughs> is that it's a different type of filming experience. Right. And you can't use all the same camera tricks you do for a traditional movie. Right. And you lose a lot of... Uh, well, all that crap that the... What's his name? Covers in every frame of painting. Tony Joe. Yeah. Just the, the tr idea of traditional theater and the framing and all that stuff becomes different, especially if you're going for a VR experience. I feel like the VR experience is great for rendering stories in the first person, but not much else. Right. So, so far, anyway. And, so and hopefully it doesn't become only that, and I don't think it will. I think there's too much market, too much industry built around 
traditional film. Um, I do like it as a new medium. You know, it's something interesting that people couldn't really do before. Uh, I just hope that it doesn't consume it. Well, I'm waiting for the technology to get smaller, so when we'll see people just taking us on tours and trips and things using nothing but VR. Google Glass. <laughs> uh, we'll see if that ever hits the market in a consumer version. Yeah. So, a little more gaming news. Uh, finally, there's another Dishonored game coming out, Dishonored 2, and I'm actually excited because I, I took a long time before playing the first one, but I enjoyed it a lot, although there were some quirks. Um, they so, have a bunch of upgrade trees, the vast majority of which are for killing your enemies. But the game actively tells you, do not kill people. This will make the game worse for you. It will make the ending worse for you. Um, and you won't get as many points if you kill people. But as a reward for not killing people, here are more points to put in your killing people trees. Um... And as an upgrade system, it just didn't make sense to me. So I put all my points into the non-lethal, you know, teleportation and slowing and stopping time. And it actually made the game pretty broken because I could stop time, walk around, knock everyone out, grab the stuff I need, and walk out. But I had all these leftover upgrade points for killing trees that I would never use because the game would say, Hey, you want to kill some people? Here's a bunch of tools. Like, oh, okay, let, let's get to it. And then slaps you on the wrist and goes, no, that's bad. Like, then why are you giving me, like, this buffet of options that I would use for this? And then mm. treating me like an asshole for trying to do what you're rewarding me with. Well, not to mention the... Uh... Sometimes the game just was set up in such a way that it just didn't tell you about how you accidentally killed somebody. You leave a dead body on the ground. And for some reason, there would be rats. And if you're outside, well, good fucking luck. Yeah. I, I noticed that also. I think when my playthrough, it said I killed like one or two people. But I wasn't the one who killed them. They just happened to die on their own. And I guess that's my fault. Um, I don't know if they committed suicide or what. I don't know why that's on me. But I didn't feel like playing through the game again just to save the lives of two morons at the beginning of the game. Um, but I'm hoping that New Dishonored 2 will maybe balance that out a little bit. Uh, but I still did enjoy playing through the first one. I thought the story was interesting. The, the gameplay mechanics were kind of cool. Um, so I'm looking forward to the new one. It was well, somewhere like, between like um, an Elder Scrolls and Assassin's Creed game. Yeah, we always called it first-person Assassin's Creed, essentially. Yeah, that's pretty accurate. Except in Assassin's Creed, you definitely get rewarded for murdering people. Or at the very least, nothing nothing changes. That's true. Yeah. Well, but you get the rewarding experience of seeing how many ways you can kill people in an Assassin's Creed game. Yeah. Uh, going back to Assassin's Creed for one second, it just reminded me of this one story. I think it was like Assassin's Creed Brotherhood, where you have a cutscene, and then you're supposed to chase a guy who's on a horse. Um, and I remember that. He's supposed to get to some point before you can actually catch him. And there's guards that come and fight you or whatever. So the first time I do it, I throw a knife at his back and he dies. And it says, you failed the mission because, you know, you're supposed to catch him, not kill him. Um, and it was clear that you were supposed to go all the way to this point and survive to that point before you could actually catch him. And I thought to myself, well, I've got poison darts and they will eventually kill him, but not before I catch him. So I hit him with a poison dart 
He falls off his horse, stumbles around. I run over, I tackle him. I get to this cutscene, and I've been teleported, you know, 200 yards up the road, where clearly I was supposed to catch him later on. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just a, a really funny way to shortcut that scenario that I guess, I don't know, the testers didn't catch it in QA, but it was it was pretty funny at the time. It's Yeah, there's a lot of those sequences, like uh, getting to play Sleeping Dogs again today. Uh, one of those little sequences where the guy comes and steals your money and attempts to run away. Uh, he started out next to the freeway that I had driven up to, obviously, and so I just got back in my car and I ran him over. <laughs> he, uh, well... It didn't kill him the first time, and as he's getting up, the, he has he has those taunts he yells at you as he's running, and he decided to use the one that said, Ha, I'm faster than you, asshole. <laughs> and uh, that was immediately followed up by the uh, trunk of my car going over his head. <laughs> yeah, running is not faster than a car. That was poorly <laughs> timed. Yeah. Um, I liked Sleeping Dogs a lot. I wish they were make more of them. It was, again, you know, we talk about unique scenarios... Uh, Hong Kong sort of sandbox style game is is very different from the norm, and I thought it was a really fun game. I mean, I'd I'd just like to reiterate all the points we always make, saying I think we need uh, an Assassin's Creed style game set in Shanghai in the 40s, or yeah. the Orient. Yeah. Um, or the Orient, or whatever there was that they were developing from, like, um, the same guys that made L.A. Noir. I would love to see that. Um, Tokyo would also be cool if they would just bring that to a new engine. Like I a modern it, Tokyo? Yeah, I think it's been done before. I, isn't Mirror's Edge kind of Tokyo-ish? In its, Mirror's uh, Edge portrayal? is that cyberpunk, like, don't ask where this is, it just looks sort of like places. Gotcha. Um, and, like, looking at the way they have uh, the shrunken down Hong Kong arranged, you could probably also do Bangkok. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like there are a lot of locations that are really interesting that game makers just haven't used. Um, Western Europe gets used all the time, and it's cool. It oh, just it's because it's what everybody knows, time. right? It's, it's but mostly you just something a little more exotic, right? It's just that they're going to have to go off and do their research on it. Well, and who doesn't want to have a paid vacation to uh, okay. I don't know Tahiti or Hong Kong or wherever it is they're going? It's a magical place. <laughs> uh, Agents of Shield. Let's not talk about that now. All right, all right. <laughs> so I got one last topic. We've done a lot of gaming talk, a little bit of tech talk. Um, we've got to talk a little firearms. So the other day you asked me a question. It was, you know, if things have gone bad and you need to choose one gun to take with you, what do you choose and why? And um, I thought about just the ones that I own, and I went with AK because, you know, that's a good pick. Um but if I had to choose from any set of guns, or do you want me to just limit it to the ones that I own? Mostly it was the ones that you own, just as one of those thought exercises of, oh shit, something's going down, what do you immediately reach for? Right. So in that case, I would still probably stick with AK, although I would hold on to a screwdriver to remove my California-approved shroud. Right. And... (laughs) You have to go find some magazines that would actually work with the AK as well. Yeah, I mean, they exist. It's not super uncommon in the U.S., but, I mean, right. the reason, you asked me the reason why, 
And uh, right, and I mean, you're more more comfortable shooting the AK than you are with your the open sights on the AR platform, at least. Right, that's part what of what I've it. seen anyway. Well, and the other reason that anyone would choose an AK over an AR, which, which is not for all scenarios, but you talk about durability and um, you know ability to to get beaten up and still function. Mm -hmm. um, you know, just the fact that I can use the magazine as something to rest on because it's locked in is really nice. The AR in that way is a little more fragile, finicky. The AK, I feel like I could take a hammer to it and it just wouldn't care. Mm -hmm. um, the long stroke piston, it again, it's just powerful and does not care what's in there. It could be insanely dirty and it's just gonna keep on shooting. Now, part of that also is the fact that you're shooting 762 by 39, which is a completely different cartridge than 556 five, right and, and in the expectation that something's gone wrong i'm not so worried about really long distance marksmanship i just want to be putting as much power down range as i can well yeah that's that's my thought i, I you know mm -hmm. you could have a different take you could say you want to take your uh subcompact pistol i don't know why you would <laughs> but you know you could uh, go that route it would be one of the things i would take with me <laughs> well you said choose one gun and say take an arsenal with you yeah in that case why not just i'll strap on a beretta cqb or beretta a um barrett cqb you know a 50 cal um i'll take an ak for like medium work i'll strap on a full-size pistol a subcompact pistol and bring a 22 rifle with me for small game and then i'm all <laughs> kitted out yeah that sounds great no mm. the question is which one gun do you mm. take with you Right. Well, so what's your answer? Well, the only gun I have available to me at the moment is a 20-inch AR, obviously. Right, okay. I'll, I'll open it up for you because you're in a unique situation. Let's say you could choose any gun to take with you. What would you take? Honestly, it'd probably still be an AR, mostly just because of the amount of practice I've gotten with it so far. <laughs> All right. So it's not and so much a merit of the platform as much as it's just your personal experience. It's also just it's ubiquitous is the word that I'm going to have to use here. In the U.S. In the U.S., I don't plan. I don't. Well, in other countries too, it's also much more ubiquitous in like Canada and Mexico, mostly because we have you know Stanag magazines. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure Mexico has plenty of like AK weapons that are just lying around as reasons. All right. So, so we have watched a fair number of you. ARs down there. Thank you, Eric Holder. <laughs> <laughs> we shipped a lot of those down south. Um, um, all right. I, I want to narrow the question down then because we're talking more logistics and our experience. I want the question to focus more on um, the characteristics of the firearm itself. So ignoring availability, let's say you have infinite ammo, infinite parts, uh, and... I guess you, it's hard to think of it this way, but say you have equal capability with a platform, then which gun do you go for? Oh, if like size and weight were an issue, I'd be no, shooting. No, no, a... size and weight are still an issue. Well, for like the ammo, I mean, if we had infinite ammo and I was carrying the same amount of weight and ammo, but it was infinite. Okay. Was, I would be shooting a 308 platform, honestly. All you right. would too. Which one? <laughs> uh. For size and lightness, I would probably opt for some kind of AR-10 platform. I'm not really sure. There's nothing like major on the market right now that I'm really in love with. Although sure, POF. 
No, at this point, like if I were to have to pick one, just one immediately off the market, I'd probably grab the Scar Heavy. Scar Heavy. Well, it's got heavy in the name. That doesn't sound very light. Well, it's much. It's significantly heavier than other things, but it's it's much lighter than the other options. For okay. Like so around on a day to day basis. You wouldn't pick some crazy bullpup design or, um, you know, an AR-10 pistol or something. You just Scar oh. Heavy. I mean, it's a standard safe pick, I guess. Yeah. And All mostly right. it's the logistics of also having the magazine uh, kit and stuff like that to be able to wear it. Well, we we ruled out magazines and supplies. No, no, not supplies. I'm talking about, like, the chest rigs and all that stuff. Oh, just, just the wearability? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the wearability of your extra gear and your extra kit, like, obviously the Russians made it work, so your AK choice is not completely invalid for anything. It's, it's a perfectly fair choice, and yeah. it's what you have. But, See... If I could choose anything and parts weren't an issue and ammo wasn't an issue, I actually probably would choose like a Barrett CQB, you know, the 20 inch Barrett, just because 50 cal, you know, any engagement I come across, if I don't get them, they will run away. That is terrifying. Um, 308 is scary, 50 BMG is scarier. I can right, take out cars, you also, I can take out multiple You also people. have no real capability to follow-up shot inside. Who needs a follow-up shot? Everyone's deaf and blind. <laughs> Including yourself. <laughs> well, I need good sunglasses and good ears. It's like bro. just having a suicide vest made of flashbangs. Just, yay! You know, that's kind of tempting for, you know, it, it, it's not suicide in theory, but it's like, I'm just going to end this fight for everyone and you run in, and you've got a ton of flashbangs, and everything goes off, and everyone is crying and on the ground, and the fight is over. Um, that's actually pretty effective. I want to make like some sort zero of composite flashbang. Just complete zero-sum game everything. Yeah. Why, why <laughs> I don't value my life. I don't can value yours either. everything. Uh. <laughs> it's like, uh, I remember Call of Duty. Anytime I got hit with a flashbang or a stun grenade, just... just it either kill me or let me go but just i got hit with like three in a row i'm just blind i can't move i can't hear this just sucks um yeah i, I don't know that i would all right well maybe i'll, I'll revise that because i say bear it 20 inch because it just sounds awesome but uh yeah i guess i would want something for closer engagements fine in that case i would want to be able to choose two like that <laughs> And an AR pistol or something, you know, just just a bigger and a smaller, even it out. But do, I do guess you know my how much that Barrett CQB weighs? I don't remember. I don't remember. I don't think it's mm. that light. I also don't know why anything in fifty BMG is considered CQB. It's not actually CQB. But... It's in the name. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm mostly assuming the fact that you. You've also never had to walk with one held out in front of you for any any long amount of time. I've never even seen one in person. You know how expensive right. those are. They're, I mean, I can't even find taking one your AK. You, I don't think you've well, you've never obviously never had to take your AK on a ruck march. That no, that one that's a not. pain in the ass. No, I've taken it to the range. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Yeah. All right. Well, maybe I don't want to lug it around. I need something like. Um, because honestly, the Halo, it, <laughs> the Halo thing where you just strap it to your back, but it's like magnetized or something. It just it just sticks on there, 
just in a perfectly get some comfortable inserts. way. Just get some inserts, man. Some in, like magnet inserts in your spine. Yeah, that sounds <laughs> safe. <laughs> I can't see that going wrong at all. All right. Well, um, I guess we'll wrap it up with that conclusion. Scar heavy and a Barrett CQB are the most practical rifles you can choose for a. Please take situation. all of this advice I, with a grain of salt. I don't think anyone can really argue that. <laughs> uh, so yeah anyways we'll end on that thanks for listening to the uh, first not operator podcast so hopefully we'll be back with some more stuff soon um, sorry about my last video where I said we were back um, that was sort of true but a little premature but uh, now hopefully we'll be bringing content with some more regularity let's hope so Yeah. anyways uh, good talking to you and uh, we'll be back soon yep.